The Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space Podcast. Created from an atomic fireball hurled from outer space. The Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space Podcast. Threatens man's very existence on Earth. Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space Podcast. Battles Godzilla, Mothra, and Rodan for mastery of the world. Men quake before the terror of their unleashed fury. All new, all never to be forgotten. A new high in visions from Monsterland. Hello everyone, welcome to Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. My name is Jerry, and joining me for these visions from Monsterland is, as always, 10 out of 10, Derek. Monsteraya. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hello there, Jerry. That's You have a great singing voice, Derek. Um, I'm really proud of you. Thank you. I'm also <laughs> proud of Don, the one and only, here joining us. Screonk, everyone. Uh, not coming in with a singing voice. We also have uh, the the guy who could probably beat up everyone in the Sinister Six, Mr. Venom. <laughs> Greetings and salutations, friends. How you doing, Jerry? I like how I introduce you as beating up all the bad guys, and, and you're Mr. Venom, and you're like, hey guys, how y'all doing today? Like, just super <laughs> nice. Uh, I save the Venom for when I need it. <laughs> That's fair. Okay, today we are covering a classic, uh, a milestone in filmography. We are covering Mothra. The reason we are covering Mothra is because, well, Mill Creek put out a steelbook of Mothra on Blu-ray, and it's the first time Mothra has been released on Blu-ray here in America, so we decided, fuck it, let's, let's do our next show on it. So, I know me, Derek, and Venom got it, but Don, you didn't get it, right? Right. Gotcha. Okay. So, uh, then what we're going to do real quick is kind of go through real quick and just talk about this new uh, Blu-ray release and what we think. Uh, Venom, what do you think of this Blu-ray release? I mean, I, I personally, I think it's a beautiful transfer. It's probably the best Mothra's ever looked. I never owned Mothra on DVDs. Uh, last time I owned Mothra was VHS, so I'm not sure if Mill Creek did a DVD release and how good that looked, but I can honestly say this is the best Mothra's ever looked. I will say I am a little disappointed in the lack of features. I mean, ultimately, it was a Blu-ray and a steel case that was under $15, so I guess I can't really expect too much. But and a sleeve. 
thought that was oh, really yeah. nice. That's true. I did like the sleeve. Yeah, they're doing that more and more with steel books. Um, Which is good. Us and Pet Cemetery both famously did it. I, the Pet Cemetery one's awesome because the sleeve actually has like a bit of the cemetery background. So when you pull it off, it like changes the actual cover a little bit. It's pretty cool. Nice. Now I will say this: um, the former DVD release was the Sony release. If you have the icons of uh, Sci-Fi Box. That's which got, is what I've got. Yeah, which has got Mothra, uh, Battle in Outer Space, and the H-Man. It is those special features put on the Blu-ray that it just it just took those special features, did a new transfer, because I did check. I put in my DVD after I watched the Blu-ray to do some comparisons, and it, the Blu-ray is a new transfer. It does look better. Because mm-hmm. um, I was slightly worried. They just kind of took the Sony transfer and put it on there. Because it's Mill Creek. Yeah, exactly. I was worried because the price kept going down on it. I was too, especially for a steel case. It was like down to like 13 bucks. Exactly. It was ridiculous. Derek, what did you think? Yeah, the transfer did look better. You know, I actually did a little comparison to, you know, there's some like lines and stuff. That's like the print that they probably had, probably had those lines still. So there's nothing you can do really. So I didn't really, I'm not really a nitpicker like that. Like, I know a lot of people like motion blurriness when they like, oh, no, we don't want no film grain. It's an older film, so you're going to get that shit sometimes, dudes, you know. But overall, it looked really nice and widescreen. And, yeah, I, I understand about the lack of features, but for the price that we got it for, I can't really complain if it was, like, a $40, like, Screen Factory steel book and there was no features on it, then I would fucking bitch, you know. Yeah. You know, they're... they're... I really do like the transfer, except for one scene. There's a scene where Mothra is flying back to Infant Island, and like, I don't know what's wrong with the scraps of film for that scene, but like, it's got this crazy flicker going on. Mhm. Mhm. I did see that. You know, um, but that's in the uh, DVD release. Also, also like when you're looking at the opening credits, like the credits kind of have this jumpiness to it. That's in the DVD also, so so that's just with the original film. There's not really something they're going to fix. They're not Arrow. They're not going to put that much time into it. So, mm-hmm. we'll ex- I, I, overall, if you can pick this up for for 15 bucks or under, absolutely do it. Fantastic. Steel case looks beautiful. I love mm-hmm. the sleep for it. Yeah, you're not going to get much for special features, but that commentary is really good. I've listened to that multiple times from my Sony uh, DVD release. Me too. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the, so same have... it's the same one from the DVD, the commentary? Yes, all the special features on that Blu-ray are, okay. are taken straight from the Sony DVD. Cool. So do they have the English version, or is it just the original with both. the subtitles? They, they have the they English have version and the Japanese version. Sweet. It, it is pretty much okay. everything that the Sony DVD is, except uh, new transfer on, on both movies. Okay, so they did do both versions with the with new transfers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, and from what most people are saying, there are some people complaining about the audio. I guess I'm not an audiophile because I didn't really notice anything wrong with it. Um, I mean, I have I have a Sony Atmos sound bar, and I I had no problems with the sound. Yeah, I know it's only two point one and not like five point one, but I, I, sure. it's a kaiju movie. I don't think I really care. <laughs> so 
it's it, i mean i'm not i'm not watching martyrs here i don't need to hear every single detail <laughs> i hear you there okay so i guess that means it's time to uh get in to this movie so we are looking at mothra from 1961 a giant ancient moth begins to attack japan when coming to the rescue of its two foot tall worshippers who were taken by shipwreck survivors they were not taken by shipwreck survivors. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> IMDb. That is wrong. They are taken by uh, foreigners from... What was that country called? Rolisica. Rolisica. Yeah, yeah it's a combination of uh, Russia and America. Mm-hmm. As those were the two inspirations for that country. Um, they were taken by them. I don't know why they would say that. That's so weird. Um... Fun fact about this, this is uh, the first screenplay that uh, Shiniki uh, Sekizawa ended up giving to Toho. So this is the birth of his career in our beloved genre. So props to him. Hell yeah, man. I'm a big big fan of his fantasy style. It's actually really good. Yeah, I dig it too. Uh, So with that said, we are going to get into what we love about this movie... And Derek said he's digging it. So, Derek, what do you love about this movie? I just like the whole mythological aspect of Mothra as a character. Because, you know, like in other movies, like when, like the first one I ever seen her in was Mothra versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus the thing. And, uh, you know, you get a little bit of it. But this one, if you watch this one before that one, you'll get a little bit more understanding of what the mothra is and what she is to the island and stuff and i dig that you know and i just dig like that she has like these little two goddess fairies that worship her and a bunch of villagers that worship her so you know it's cool there's like a deity aspect to mothra that i always dug and this film shows and you know she's ever powerful and she'll get in your way if you get in her way she'll fucking fuck you up Very true. Don, what do you love about this movie? Uh, the final half hour. Um, it's pretty much where all the special effects are, and true to form, Subaraya pulls off some amazing stuff in here. There's a lot to like in that about what he does in here, because I know he experimented with the flying stuff with Rodan, but what we get here is probably even better, I would say, in terms of special effects, so... Yeah, I'd say the final half hour. Yeah, I will say Mothra's wings in this movie look fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Venom, what do you love about this flick? I love that this is the first kaiju movie where the kaiju is not the villain. Um, yeah. I love, just like Derek was saying with the mythology and the backstory behind Mothra, it, it all kind of ties in together. But yeah, I just, I love that uh, in 1961, the Japanese took a chance at making a kaiju movie where, you know, the kaiju wasn't just marauding through a city for no reason other than he's a big old wild beast. You know, Mothra had, Mothra was on a mission. He was, you know, he, he was going to Tokyo with a very distinct mission in mind. He did what he needed to, or she, she did what she needed to do. 
And she left. And I just love that, you know? So I don't have to see the unnecessary death of a kaiju, or at least the perceived death of a kaiju, especially one that's as beloved as Mothra right from the start. Like, you know, because Godzilla, obviously, we know started as a villain and then later on became kind of a, you know, a fan favorite and, um, you know, uh, kind of siding with the humans. But this was the first time that Toho took that chance, and I absolutely love it. I do love that um, technically, like, Godzilla and Mothra don't have, like, an official gender, but we always call Godzilla he, and we always call Mothra she. Well, doesn't, isn't Mothra known as the queen of the monsters? Uh, well, no, because there's technically multiple different uh, larvae, um, like, they never really specifically call, like, the J- Japanese never really call her, like, queen. Not that I've ever recall. Uh, yeah. She's worshipped as a goddess. I think, well, at best, you might get goddess. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think at that point, they also just say god. I don't think they gender it. Yeah, I think yeah, I don't... I well, think... on the movie poster, they call it the monster god, not goddess. So, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's in the American poster. Americans are dumb. Right, Have right. met me? Ha, <laughs> Yeah, in the, you know, like the Mothra trilogy from the 90s, they kind of took a chance when they differentiated uh, that Mothra in that film, well, the one that's born is a male. And you could see, like, the differentials of a male moth to a female moth, which I do dig that they did that. And when we get into those films, I do have problems with them. But when we get into those ones, you know? Yeah. I just find it funny that we as a fan base automatically are like, Godzilla is a boy and Mothra is a girl. And no like no one ever really questions that or gets angry about it. It's just like something that's always been. Well, I do know a little a little bit of backstory about that. Um, it was actually circulated in... Um, there was a book released in the late 90s to coincide with the 98 release. There was... Like it was like a general information book, and they kept on referring to on every single one of Mothra's appearances, they kept on referring to it as Queen Mothra. That was the official name of the creature. Was this so? A, was this a, an American book or a Japanese yeah, in, book? Yeah, in, in an American book. Yeah, there was every single reference, even in um, you know Mothra versus Godzilla, and in um, you know Sea Monster in. Um, you know, the 92 version, every single appearance, they always referred to it as Queen Mothra. So I believe a lot of that is what seeped into the American conscience about it being referred to as a female. Because that would have been right around the time that the 98 one was released. And, you know, American mindset, you know, you see something often enough, it's going to seep in eventually. Gotcha. Okay, well... um. As so, yeah. for me, my favorite thing about this movie is the the island, but not the islanders, because this also falls under Godzilla versus King Kong's uh, very, very bad interpretation uh, of natives. Uh, mm-hmm. A little racist, but we'll leave we'll leave it alone. But I do love the island setting. I absolutely think the island looks amazing. I, I love that cave that he goes into. I wish we could have seen more of that. I wish this movie took place more on the island. I really, like, I think that's one of the reasons that, um, oh, fuck, King Kong vs. Godzilla is one of my favorite movies. Is because we get 
the the island part of this story because let's be honest you take this movie you cut it in half and realize that they put a lot well not even cut in half a lot of this movie they kind of just redid for king kong versus godzilla and they also added some of that into godzilla versus mothra Mm -hmm. so their next two films are very much just rehashes of this movie which I, I never really realized until today. As many times I've seen this, it never clicked in my head that while watching it, I was like, oh, this is this is just like Godzilla versus King Kong. And oh, this is Godzilla versus The Thing. This is very strange to me. Um, but I, I really do wish we could have seen more of the island setting uh, for this movie because it, it always gets me. Uh, I love it. That's why I enjoy Son of Godzilla so much because I get to be on an island with weather machines. And if that doesn't get your nerd juices flowing, I don't know what does. Uh, so with that being said, let's get into what we uh, didn't like. And this time, I think we'll let Venom go for Venom, was this a first time watch for you? Oh, no, not at all. Uh, okay. First time in a very long time, admittedly, probably 15 to 20 years since the last time. But I, I definitely watched it multiple times um, in the 90s when it would show up on TV. Okay, I I know there are not a lot, but there are a few movies that are first time watches for you. So I'm always kind of yeah. curious as to which one. So okay, well, what what did you not like? And if you say if you cop out and say the fucking kid, no, not at all. I know. <laughs> I was saying the kid was awesome in this movie. <laughs> yeah, um, actually, it, it is a human character, but only for half of the movie, and that's Bulldog. I did not like Bulldog uh, when he was trying to be the comic relief. I just I don't well, find a, the bumbling character funny. It just doesn't do it for me. Uh, once once he got out of that, once he stopped trying to be funny, right around when he saved that baby at the bridge, for the rest of the movie, I liked him because he was you know he was just being heroic and you know just trying to do the right thing. But like I said, for the first maybe 30, 40 minutes of the film, you know he was playing that bumbling reporter character, and I just hate that. So yeah, but he, he redeemed. He did redeem himself, so I'll give him credit for that. Yeah, I was going to say, you actually took the one I was going to use because they, uh-huh. they got a comedian to do this role, and I was just like, ugh, I don't like it. It doesn't – it didn't really work for me no. at all. I, I also felt like they didn't – like, because I feel like they just do a better pairing of the journalist and the photographer with the scientist in Godzilla versus The Thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just do a much better job with that whole thing there because all the characters mm-hmm. are more likable. Because even with the girl, she barely does anything in this movie. She barely fucking talks. That's she doesn't not, even do her job half the time. She's no, not even taking the, pictures. <laughs> that's actually my issue. <laughs> yeah, like, like the characters are a major problem in this movie just because most of them are unlikable. The best character in the movie is the bad guy who's like uh, played by Jerry Udo. Like, oh, he's awesome. He's the only character that I was like, yeah, that fucking, that dude and the kid. The kid was for once, like, good, which was surprising because I I forgot there was a kid in this. So when I was rewatching it and the kid showed up to get his mouse, I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to listen to Venom bitch about that. But then then the kid was good. So I was like, Venom's not going to bitch about it. I can make a joke and not have to worry. Um, But with that being said, uh, Derek, what did you not like about this movie? Yeah, that's what the Japanese Angelica Houston character. You <laughs> know. She did nothing. 
Yeah, you know, like she's just in there and just making like these stereotypical jokes. Oh, do your job, you know, and fucking, you know, I, I that humor is just weird to me because it's that time period, and it's a lot more noticeable in Gappa the Trithivian monsters though that kind of humor, but mm. you know, it's just that I, I I like the main scientist dude. He actually. Ironically enough, her praises his role like fifty-five years later or something. That is the Pretty... same Chudo. I was actually going to ask. Yeah, Shujo, Tokyo, Shujo, US... right? Yeah, yeah. Tokyo SOS. Yeah, he even introduced the same way with the newspaper. That's right. Yeah, yeah, uh... yeah but and I like Jared Ito, but yeah, some of the, a lot of the character development's kind of weak in this one. But it doesn't take me out of the movie. Yeah. Uh... Looks like most of us have that. Don, what's your complaint? It just feels like a dry run for like King Kong versus Godzilla and Mothra versus Godzilla. It, you have everything in here. You have the reporter, the photographer, and the scientist as the main human trio. Godzilla, Mothra versus Godzilla. You've got the island setting where they capture the giant creature and bring it back to America. That's King Kong versus Godzilla. It just feels like a dry, you know, like it, they're shaking the cobwebs off and trying an idea. And then, you know, okay, well, let's perfect it over here in King Kong. And then, okay, well, we figure out what went wrong there. Let's bring those ideas over and fix them in Mothra versus Godzilla. So for me, it, it feels like a demo run for later episodes, for later films in the series. Yeah, you know, it's like the juice in this one is better than the juice in King Kong. Juice in King Kong versus Godzilla gets right. you this ju- juice will keep you from getting fucking radiation poisoning. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I actually do kind of want to go through this movie uh, a little bit before we move on to uh, Mothra herself. So, uh, we start this movie with a storm that obviously capital, you know, standard kaiju fare, boat out in the ocean, storm gets capsized, go to an island, drink juice, and then survive. But, of course, then we've got to go visit the island. Uh, and in this one, uh, this island was a testing site for the... Uh, Don, what was the country's name again? Rolisica. Rolisica. That's just a fucking weird name. Uh, they were doing atomic tests there. And like I said, Rolisica is a stand-in for a combination of the United States of America and Russia. Uh, well, I guess at this point it was still USSR, right? Yeah. Right. Just checking before I sound dumb. That's why I have you guys here. Um, (laughs) So, uh, of course, they have to. They they need to go investigate it. All this, and uh, while they're talking to the uh, the sailors who were rescued, Bulldog, aka Zenichiro, Zenichiro, Zenichira, Zenichiro, Sanichito, Sandy Cheeto. Uh, <laughs> Sandy Cheeto uh, Fukuda and his photographer Michi Hanamura uh, infiltrate it and you know they, they get their story because he's like a bulldog he's going to get his fucking story you're going to give it to him or you're going to fucking die he's going to call his brother who is in Godzilla vs. Gigan and he's going to fucking rob you with a corn cob that is his brother it is they are fucking related I I they have to be. Um, so, uh, the Rolissian Embassy ends up co-sponsoring a joint Japanese Rolissian scientific expedition. Uh, so, they go out there, and while they're out there, they run into 
a beautiful cave, a flower that fucking attacks, and um, also tiny beautiful ladies. <laughs> um, well, tiny good-looking ladies. Beautiful's a stretch. They're no, those twins. They automatically get the beautiful bonus. I don't the, care if the twins are mm-hmm. ugly. If you have a chance at two twins, you call them beautiful and you take it. The yeah, but two, are... two fives don't make a ten, do they? Yeah, they they do, do when you're the one in the middle. You're the addition <laughs> sign, Venom. You I are the plus I, sign in that equation. I, I'm siding with Jerry. The, the moles do it for me. I, I was going to go that far, but I'm glad you guys have a place to aim. Um, <laughs> yeah, you got two spots there. Nice. Uh, yeah. Of course, only, of course, only fun fact, only one of them actually has that. That's how you tell the two of them. Um, I think they um, they said that one of them has it, but the other one put it on for sh- for show appearances to keep up the identical part. But you could tell the two of them in real life because one had it and one didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, is Jerry Ito related to them? They have no. the same last name. They're not no related. relation. No, no. Uh, Jerry Ito is actually in a Japanese. He's American actor. He's not even from Japan. He was born in Los Angeles. Okay, cool. Yeah. He only had six months worth of... He had only been six months into learning Japanese when he did this movie. Yeah. So when you watch yeah, he... the Japanese dub, it seems like he's talking real slow like on purpose. No, he's just trying very hard to speak Japanese. Yeah, he learned yeah, He learned the dialogue phonetically. Yeah, he was, uh, he was an American-born speaker. Yeah. I actually yeah, remember he's him. The, he's the he's the kaiju Bela Lugosi. Yeah, I actually remember <laughs> yeah. him from the Manster. So did he do his English dialogue as well? Yeah, that's him. That's him in the dub. Okay, cool. Yeah, the English dub is him. Awesome. I, yeah, I think the Japanese dub has somebody dubbing over for him, but it the speech uh, the speech cadence is still him. I rem I want to say I remember in my research that he did his lines in both English and Japanese. So that I think it is him in both. I thought he was dubbed in Japanese, but they kept his cadence in. And I think he spoke it on set, but I think in the loop, maybe he... I don't know. Maybe you're right. I don't know. Because I'd, I'd have to... I'd have to... I can't go pull out my book again, so I don't know. And I think it actually the actor that was with him, the, his like sidekick there, is like a Japanese Canadian actor, so they could actually speak English to yeah. each other. Yeah, here it is. I found it. Jerry Ito and Robert Dunham both spoke their lines in English and Japanese. Okay, bam. So, there uh, yep. Okay, so. <laughs> okay, so uh, Ito's character is named Nelson. Because I don't <laughs> you know. I, I, like, like, he's so threatening <laughs> in this movie, and you named him fucking Nelson. Why? Yeah, he had a very even his first name was very American, wasn't it? When they showed the ID, wasn't his name like Clark Nelson or Craig Nelson, something like that? It was. I remember yeah, just, Nelson. It was just something oh very God. American. <laughs> I think it is Clark Nelson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Nelson ends up uh, straight up kidnapping the fairies uh, and holding a secret fairy show in Tokyo, where the fairies, for some reason fully cooperate and sing, but then you find out they're singing because that song is going to bring Mothra to them. And uh, as the Bulldog and crew show up to talk to Nelson and they get backstage to talk to the fairies, the fairies show that actually we can talk because only ideas and thoughts 
are important to us. And I wish I could be that way. I wish I could, like, do that. But it turns out I never had a thought at all. So I can't. Uh, well, you thought to start this podcast, so that's one good idea. There you go. <laughs> I don't think the fans agree with you, but I'm going to give it to you. Uh, but no, so, and they tell him, like, look, Mothra, don't worry about us. Mothra's got us. Mothra's coming for us. Y'all are all going to die, though, and that's kind of sad. And, like, none of them really freak out, which is weird to me, because if two magical twin fairies just told me, yeah, Mothra's coming, and you're all going to die, we'll be straight. Y'all are fucking dead. I think I'd flip out a little bit, but they all take it really well. They're just kind of like, oh, well, I guess we got to figure out this whole Mothra thing. <laughs> what um, is Mothra? What is Well, Mothra? obviously, Nelson and his guys don't believe him. It's, it's, it's our protagonists that actually take it seriously. But you're right. Even they don't take it all that seriously. Well, they, they take it seriously. They just don't freak out, which is exactly. weird to me. Like, the characters in this movie are just weird to me. Uh, and from here, it's basically... Them running around and dealing with Nelson, uh, arguing back and forth over legalities and morality until Mothra, as a caterpillar, starts swimming around, destroying boats and then landing on land, destroying the city until she climbs up a uh, tower that so cutely breaks in half and falls over. It's so adorable. (laughs) Oh, man. I love that scene. Uh, then she covers herself in her white Web. stuff. Webbing. Webbing. So okay. silk webbing. Silk, yeah. I'm going to go with the white stuff. <laughs> and uh, hatches into Mothra and ends up uh, ready to destroy stuff. But they finally catch Nelson because Nelson uh, tied up a little boy. Do you, do you know about the alternate ending that originally was going to be for this film? Yes, and I, I I wish they would have used it. it. It sounded so much better than what we got. Uh, so apparently the alternate ending was going to have Nelson actually kidnapping the kid, them getting on a private jet with the fairies, and then that jet crashing and them all dying. Um, oh, but, that's not what I read. Oh, what did you read? I read that... Um, uh, the same the same start that Nelson kidnaps the, the little chubby kid, takes him, and then they, they actually all go back to Infant Island. Um, and then somehow the little kid escapes. Like, he, he gets free of Nelson and somehow reunites with, you know, his all his uh, little guys. And then Mothra actually kills Nelson and his goons. That's what I had read. Hold on, I'm going to try to find the thing. Okay. Here we go. Uh, A different ending was originally planned where Nelson and his goons kidnap Shinji rather than tie him up. They they then head for Rosilica via Nelson's private plane, but the plane crashes in Kishiyu and Kujo. Shinrikyo and the police track them to a cave where Shinji breaks free and takes the case containing the fairies. Shinji then opens the case and the fairies telepathically contact Mothra, who flies to where the action was in the final confrontation with Nelson and his goons, Mothra ends up killing them and flying back to Infant Island with the fairies. So it looks uh, like both of us kind of got it a little mixed up. Yeah, but, a little bit, yeah. But we, we had the basic idea. Uh, yeah, there yeah. was also another scene that uh, never got filmed, or 
it was uh where mothra actually is ex the origins of mothra is explained by the fairies but it was cut in the final draft of the of the script because they thought it was too long which would have been amazing i would have loved that um so anyway uh nelson gets caught and he's actually killed in a shootout um which is how you know that that this country's partly based on america um <laughs> and uh they end up getting mothra to meet them at an airport because bulldogs like the church bell sounds like the mothra song it doesn't <laughs> Um, did anyone think that sounded like the Mothra song? Nope. Not the song, but what they were, you remember the noise that they were making on the island when, when, uh, Sh when, uh, Shiro first Oh, saw with them? the rocks. Yes. Not the rocks. Uh, it, it was actually the girls were making some kind of like chirping noise. I don't know if anybody noticed that. I, oh, I thought that was my cat. <laughs> I thought that's what they were talking about when they said it sounds like, uh, church bells. It still, it still really didn't, but, I mean, at least it was a little bit closer than the actual Mothra song. Yeah, it's nowhere near Mahara Mothra, which is, like, mm -hmm. Jerry saying that's the song. But, no, I'm with him. I, it does sound similar to that background noise that they... Uh, it sounds like it's like a tribal thing with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds closer to that than the actual, like, incantation, whatever, like, thing it is, the, mm -hmm. whatever the song is. Yeah, so they also paint uh, the symbol for Mothra to find, and uh, the end of the movie is the fairies getting released and climbing up on Mothra and flying Sayonara! away. Sayonara. Yeah, that is the weirdest thing about the English dub is that Sayonara part. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Uh, just, just a little weird. So that's <laughs> you don't the movie. think it? You don't think it's weird that they dropped off a pair of five-inch tall fairies about a quarter of a mile away from the moth? That was uh, supposed to a take long away. walk. <laughs> exactly. Uh, oh man, that was the. No, you know what? You know what the worst thing in this movie is the the fight scene where Bulldog is fighting off all the goons so the scientists oh, can run and go talk to. It's like, where did you learn to fight from fucking Lou and Abbott Costello? Oh, they were all terrible. And the oh, thing, ten years to think, ten years later, Shunny Chiba showed up. No wonder he got so popular. Jesus. Yeah, he didn't have much competition. <laughs> exactly. Holy fuck. Uh, so Mothra, though, looks amazing. I don't really care for the larva in this movie. I, I don't think the larva looks that great. But Mothra, full bloom. Oh, my God. The wings look amazing. They look like cloth. I loved it. Love it. Yeah, I always liked Mothra's eyes. I love that kind of sparkly effect. Yeah, I love her big white head. I just want to pet it. <laughs> Actually, that's funny. My wife was in the room when I started watching this when Mothra, or, or, you know, once Mothra actually hatches, and she said the exact same thing. She's like, oh, my God, Mothra's adorable. <laughs> yeah, like, so my fiancé yeah. loves Mothra. She has a bunch of Mothra stuff. Nice. Uh, our yeah. stockings for Christmas, hers is a Mothra, mine's a Godzilla, and she made them. Y'all have nice. seen my nice. pictures of them. I've posted them before. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I prefer the sixty-two, the sixty-four look, but man, this one is just right there with it. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I'm not sure which one I prefer. I, uh... I think the sixty-four one just because it the scale looks makes it look even bigger because it's a bigger creature. Yeah. So it's also in a better movie. Yeah, there's <laughs> also that 
too, but I mean, yeah, the adult form of Mothra is just incredible. Yeah, like, yeah. like, like Mothra 1961 is not a bad movie. It just makes me want to watch a double feature of Godzilla vs. King Kong and then Godzilla vs. Mothra. Like, I just really yeah. rather watch the next two movies. Right, like I said, it's a demo run for those better films. Yeah, like, I'm just, like, the whole time, I'm just, I would just rather be watching those. Uh, it, you know, and... And, you know, on this show, we always cover the Americanized version because later on we'll do the Japanese version. But for starting off, we kind of want to go with what we grew up watching. And for mm -hmm. the most part, that's going to be the Americanized versions. Um, and, and so I remember watching this, you know, it would come on like fucking TNT or something. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you'd watch it or on the sci-fi channel, stuff like that. Uh, but honestly... For the most part, I kind of forget about this movie because when I think of Old School Mothra, I think of Godzilla versus The Thing. Right, same here. And, and to me, I, I guess... Actually, well, I saw that one first. That was the first actual Godzilla movie I saw. Um, I think the first one I ever saw was Godzilla versus Adora <laughs> on the Sci-Fi channel, so it's kind of weird that I'm a fan of Godzilla movies since I started off with that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah It was that's... either that or... or the Raymond Burr Godzilla King of the Monsters because there's a good chance I saw that before. That one was second. I remember that one because I remember Mothra aired one week and then the Raymond Burr one was the week after. My first was Mega Godzilla. My first was Gigan. Nice. Okay, so uh, Venom loses <laughs> this round. Boo! Uh, I, I always feel bad because Gigan has such a good design, but I, that first movie is a chore to get through. Yeah. Yeah. I think sure. I was a little higher on it than the rest of you guys are. Like you I said, were, Gai... but... yeah, definitely. Gigan's my favorite villainous kaiju, so any appearance he makes, I'm happy. Yeah, I can't it's, blame you there. It's kind of like that hockey mask killer guy. I mean, I don't care how bad those movies got, I still enjoyed them. True that. <laughs> Bloody murder? Come on, the second movie is actually not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god okay. I'm talking about Alone in the Dark clearly Good, good uh, games, uh, huh? <laughs> You know what Obviously we're talking about the video game Splatterhouse <laughs> Great game I love I love the Splatterhouse games Okay uh, so does anyone have any last things They want to say about uh, 1961's Mothra Okay whoever Designed that larval the costume for the larval one needs to be fired because that thing looked awful. I agree. What the peanut? The giant peanut? Yeah, the no there's shots of the larva where it's rampaging through the countryside. That's an oh. actual that's a there's an actual costume with people inside that thing. Gotcha. Yeah, um it's used for the long shots where it's rampaging through the countryside. Um, before it gets to the before it gets to Tokyo, you see it like rampaging through the thing in the distance, and you see like the residential areas, like out in the suburbs, like the countryside. All of those sequences are shot with an actual guy in a suit. You know, Nakajima's back in Nakajima's inside it. Really? But, That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nakajima was inside the suit for it, and there was no need for them to do a suit for that. I agree. Like I said earlier, I don't like the larva costume in this movie at all. Mm -hmm. So, all right, anyone else? Um, I mean, I mentioned it once already, but I'll reiterate that I'm fairly disappointed with Nelson's end in this movie. I feel like we, as the audience, deserved 
a more epic uh, final confrontation with Nelson. I mean, for him to just get shot by the police after everything he did, that's just not satisfying to me. I wanted mm -hmm. to see him, you know, killed or dispatched directly by either Mothra or the twins. And obviously the twins don't have any necessarily special powers other than being able to call Mothra. But yeah, I just feel like Mothra should have been involved in Nelson's demise instead of just, and by the way, talking about that scene, did you guys notice that after he shot that cop, all those other cops are just standing around staring at him? Yeah. It's like, it takes him a while to, it takes, it takes him a while to actually pull the trigger on him. Exactly, which that, that freaked me out. And then the fact that Nelson doesn't even shoot any more cops. He just shoots the one that was closest to him and then tries to run away. And th this is what I mean about it's not satisfying. It's like I, the, the, the cops should have had zero interaction with the death of Nelson. And mm -hmm. yeah, it just it was a little disappointing. And then reading what the ending was supposed to be just makes me start drooling because that's exactly what I wanted. So it's too bad. I agree. Yeah. Okay. But at least it was filmed in Toho scope, so I'm that's good. Hell yeah. <laughs> Every movie is better in Toho scope. All right, Derek, you got any last words? Nothing really. Like we said, my major issues are some of the character development in this film. But overall, I still enjoy it for what it is. And, you know, I still say you have to check this one out before you do watch Godzilla vs. Mothra to get a better aspect of like the Mothra mythos of the character. Mm -hmm. For some first-time viewers, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I still say check this one out first before you do check out Godzilla vs. Mothra, which is a classic kaiju film, and when we do cover it, we'll talk about that one. Yeah, detail. you should definitely start with Mothra, just so that you can kind of see the improvement, too. Oh. Yep. I think you should start with the butterfly effect. <laughs> no. Oh, God damn it. Okay. Well, then we move on to the Ultraman report. We are on episode 13. Oil SOS came out October 9th, 1966. Guys, there's a raging fire in an oil field somewhere in the Middle East as uh, it just burns down. Very it's a raging fire in me after I watched this episode. Yeah. I, <laughs> yep. The does any did he okay, so when y'all are watching this episode, y'all of course are watching the English version, but the way these DVDs are supposed to be set up, they're they cut in the Japanese version when the scene's not in the American version and the subtitles. Did anyone else have the problem where it just did not put the subtitles up for this one? Oh no, I had the opposite problem where it was putting it was putting subtitles up when there were no lines being spoken in the English dub. Yeah, so the, the, sub, the subtitles were from the Japanese language. They took the English subtitles directly from that translation. Yeah, I but, don't know the what problem happened is, here. Yeah, the problem is when you dub, when you do an American dub or any other uh, foreign language dub, you have to change some lines to fit the lip sync. Well, that's so, it. Okay, there's two English uh, subtitle tracks on, this, on these DVDs. Uh, One is the official... Uh, English dub that goes when you're watching Japanese version. Uh, that should be option three. Because uh, it should be option one is none. Option two is uh, the subtitles that show up only when it has to switch to a Japanese scene. And option three is the full subtitles for when you're watching it in Japanese. And this episode just could not do that. I, I fucked with it for like 20 minutes trying to get it to do it. Yeah, I just finally went and watched it on YouTube. <laughs> yeah i don't blame you i didn't know what, i just wanted to see if y'all had the same problems or if it was just me oh, Good yeah. to know. no it was 
Yeah, it was kind of like it was subtitling for like two or three lines and then it went to subtitling and then it was like back and forth again i was like wait what mm-hmm. yeah it yeah, was I, awful i ended yeah, up just turning was... on the japanese uh english dub so that i just wouldn't miss anything yeah i had the same problem as venom like he was talking but there was no audio i'm like what the fuck is going oh, on oh actually are you talking about like when the when the drunk guy starts uh counting his fingers well that's right. one of yes. many examples so There's a yeah bunch... that was yeah, that was right where I stopped because okay. that was like when I first noticed it too. I mm. turned my speakers all the way up and you can actually hear the Japanese voice yep. actor talking, but it's like so suppressed like they meant to cut it out, but all they did instead was just like turn the volume all the way down for some reason. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's just this episode has some really weird problems and I really hope ooh, we didn't get into it before we get into this episode. Good news Ultraman Fans, Mill Creek, who just gave us that Mothra, I guess they sponsored this episode, it seems like, uh, are giving us Ultraman on Blu-ray. The first announcements, we will get Ultra Q and Ultraman on Blu-ray coming October 15th, I believe it was. Uh, Sounds right. uh, You are getting two options. You can either get a steel case for $49.99 or a regular Blu-ray for $39.99. I have no idea um, how, for Ultra Q how different it's going to be from the Scream Factory release. And I don't know how different it's going to be for Ultraman from the previous Mill Creek release. But I did read that this is supposed to be uh, the video quality from the, uh, the Tsuburaya production Blu-rays that are out in Japan. So cross your finger, guys. We may be getting... A fantastic set and hopefully these sell well because from what I was reading they have the rights to do the rest of the Ultraman series so it's just I guess it's just a matter of if they sell enough mm-hmm. you know what's yeah. good about the because that's just the list price on those those might go down in price oh yeah I already pre-ordered both the steel books on Amazon I'm yeah, just going to get Ultra Q since I already got the original series on DVD. Yeah, for me, I'm only waiting to see if they include the English dub. Mm. That's the only thing un- I'm, until I'm ready to splurge for the Blu-ray. Because if we're not getting the English dub, I'm not getting it. Oh, you're talking about for Ultraman? For Ultraman, yeah. Because like, like you said, there's no dub for Ultra Q. Because there's a dub for Ultraman... If they're not included, I'm just going to hold out and wait for the other sets to come out. Uh, yeah, I, I will probably... End, I mean, I'm getting them either way. Uh, I'm a sucker. Let's just let's just be <laughs> honest here. Me and Derek are both suckers. Yeah. So you know we're getting them. Well, um, I got to save my money for the other stuff. And I mean, I you know, we've already got Ultraman. I, I'd rather have the other stuff because that's the stuff I'm not familiar with. So it would actually be fun to, you know, take a look and see what the sub unsubtitled stuff for Return of Ultraman and Ace and Taro are so I can delete those damn things off my computer. Yeah, we need we need full subtitle versions. Um, yeah. Okay, with that news out of the way, let's jump back into Oil SOS. Uh, last time we were talking, we were talking about a raging fire, but let's actually talk about this uh, drunk old dude who sees flashing, fla- <laughs> flashing lights in the water. I am also very drunk. Um, a truck pulls up, and uh, the drunk man just runs right in front of it. 
to tell the guys about the lights, but they don't believe him. They kind of push him down and drive the fuck on. But then a monster emerges as a tanker catches on fire. Uh, we'll talk about this monster in a little bit. Uh, for now, the science patrol is sent in, but they haven't seen anything in like an hour. Ito and Arashi are debating if anything was even seen. I like how Arashi's like, uh, well, we haven't seen anything yet. And he was like, I don't think there's anything here. And Arashi's like, no, we need to keep looking. And then as soon as the chief gets online, Arashi's like, yeah, we haven't seen anything. There's nothing here. I don't, the guy must have been drunk. And, and I'm like, really? You're just going to do that to Ito? You literally <laughs> just told him he was wrong and then you used his lines. <laughs> God damn it. Um, but the drunk witness still claims he saw something. But he was told that he was probably smoking and his cigarette caused the fire. Um, really? You, like, what? Come on. Yeah, that makes no sense. I mean, it could happen, but I just, really? I, I, I love they were all dead set on this guy did it. Like, you just killed him with your cigarette. I mean, I get it. He's drunk as a skunk, but still, fuck. And he was still drunk the next morning, too. Damn. For real. Uh. Uh, and they mentioned that a month ago a similar incident happened, so they think there's something might be to it. All of a sudden, the light under the water comes back, kind of like the yellow barrels and jaws. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's heading directly towards an oil tanker, and Arashi and Ito see it. This is when we get an oil-eating bat with a double starfish body showing up. Uh, yes, we have two men holding hands together inside of starfish with their hands gently uh rubbing the inside of and operating a bat mouth um wow wow um oh, man. the suit does not look that great but god damn it if i can't help but love this idea I, I the same with me. I I love bats in general anyway. So any bat uh, type kaiju, I'm always down for. And even though yeah, this suit had some major shortcomings, it's so I, noticeable that it's yeah, two dudes in a suit. I just really wish that they would have um, made the rubber uh, the rubber of the suit a little bit thicker because it's so thin that you can see how it folds over itself and it doesn't look like skin. I, and I understand that that would probably be even harder for the actors inside the suit if you made the rubber any thicker but there's got to be something you could do i mean it literally looked like paper mache at times yeah it well, was really probably bad. the water that could be the water too because i mean you don't know like the order that they film this because sure. water does have an effect on these kinds of costumes and it does deform it it does deform rubber to an extent I mean, I, I don't know how long, like, their shooting schedule was, so maybe, you know, that could have something to do with it, but, I mean, you know, cheap construction to rush the episode out, and, you know, a lot of time in the water, I can see that there may be some issue there, but I think a lot of that is just due to the fact that somebody got high and decided, okay, let's just stick two fuckers in a starfish, have them <laughs> hold hands, and call that a monster. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and, and this monster's name is Pestar. Pestar. Which is a combination of petroleum and starfish. Uh, uh, funny enough, its cry is a mothride is a mothride a modified mother cry. 
So Jeez, that's pretty perfect. fucking it's perfect dope. for this episode. <laughs> uh, it's the second costume in the Ultraman series to be piloted by two suit actors. The first one was Dodongo, who was hungry for bombs. Sorry, that's a Legend of Zelda reference. Um, I can't help it. I had to do it. Um, was there anything else interesting about... Uh... Yeah, the same two people were actually inside the costume for Pestar and Dodongo. So it's like, the it's the same thing in both episodes both of them are two-person suits with the same two actors and both costumes are actually using the same mothra cry on the soundtrack yeah <laughs> uh very strange uh so yeah that that's our creature of the week uh for this one so uh let's do this uh detective harada is back i don't remember his original name but we know the actor iwamura what Iwamura. was it iwamura i like detective harada better so do I, but yeah, it's officially Iwamura. Well, fuck this. On this show, he's Detective Harada from now on. <laughs> uh, Detective Harada is back, and he thinks the monster eats oil. So it's time to protect these oil refineries, and uh, those shipping boats, well, they need to stay away because uh, this monster has two stomachs, and he uses that two stomach to fill with uh, combustive liquids to give him energy. I don't know why he can't just eat a fucking giant protein bar, but whatever. <laughs> um, so Arashi wants to blast the monster, but Hayata, who's a big nerd in this episode, is like, yo, that's dangerous. We can't do it. Uh, but then the captain's like, well, we're going to fucking do it anyway. So they jump in the <laughs> helicopters and drop some oil barrels into the ocean. Now it's really starting to look like Jaws. There it um, is. So just as the fuel on their uh, jet is getting low, the monster shows up and takes the bait. So after giving time for the monster to eat it, uh, which I really do like the shot of all the barrels going in the monster's mouth. That was pretty dope. Yeah, it was. Um, colorized, colorized version of the scene from Gamera. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so after giving the time for the monster to eat it, they shoot it, but it seems to fail as it ducks underwater and then heads back to the shore. Uh, the cap's like, we definitely can't shoot him now. He's too close to the shore. So Ito accidentally fucking shoots him and starts a giant fire and the monster makes it ashore and starts attacking the oil finery making the fire grow bigger uh ito is daydreaming but cat wakes him up and has him shooting at the monster at on the land now the monster passes out in the fire the science patrol now works on putting the fire out but as the science patrol gets a lecture for shooting the near the refinery ito takes off feeling mighty guilty Heading straight for the fire, they chase after him. Ito grabs a hose and starts spraying, but explosion knocks him down. An explosion uh, where Ito is causes Hayata to run for and use the beta capsule to turn into Ultraman, which means the Ultraman fight is here, I guess? Gone? <laughs> Question? <laughs> okay. With the creature in its death throes. With the creature in its dying throes, it spots Ultraman coming through the flames trying to rescue Ito. Firing a f flame blast at him, it hits Ultraman in the shoulder, causing him to notice the creature's presence and responds with the specium ray blast, putting the creature down for the count. Alright, so then Ultraman starts shooting water out of his hand. He's shooting water all over, because that's how you put Are out Are you a sure fire. that's water? It is ah! definitely... <laughs> Uh, this well, episode is Ultra Fireman. Yeah, it's the remix to Ignition, hot and fresh Only out the kitchen. Only you can prevent oil fires. Yeah, so uh, Ito is saved 
And of course, he blames it all on himself. He doesn't deserve to be on the science troll, but the captain reassures him that he is great. So they leave where their ship, which is really fucking burnt. <laughs> and that's this episode of Ultraman. So uh, I, I, when we do the Ultraman episodes, I always get really excited to hear what Venom's going to say. So I tend to throw it to you, Venom. <laughs> what, what do you got? All right. Well, um, about three quarters of the way into this episode, I had an ear to ear grin on my face. I absolutely was loving it. It was very slowly becoming potentially my favorite episode of Ultraman. And the reason I say that is because there's, you know, I, there's certain uh certain things that I look for in an Ultraman episode, me not being the seasoned Ultraman watcher that you guys are, <laughs> I prefer, you know, Kaiju attack, science patrol responds, uh, secondary Kaiju attack, Ultraman shows up, saves the day. That's, you know, that's the formula that works for me with Ultraman. I don't necessarily need a deep storyline about some super weapon or some plot to destroy the Kaiju or whatever the case may be. You know what I mean? I just want get to the action as quickly as possible. Get me in and out fast. So like I said, three quarters of the way into this episode, I was absolutely loving it. It was becoming my favorite episode. And then we get to the final battle, which, as you just heard from Don's description, wasn't really much of a battle. And that's disappointing because, I mean, I, I, I feel like, you know, 13 episodes into the series, the high point of most episodes is going to be that kaiju battle. And this was literally the worst kaiju battle ever. I liken that to getting a 10 second blowjob. You can't finish in 10 seconds unless you're Jerry. But that's that's a different story. I was about to correct you. I'm glad you 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 put that in there because I was going to have to be like Venom. You're just not trying hard enough. Oh man, I mean the skills it would take for a 10 second BJ to do the job would be astounding. But anyway, yeah, it's just how I feel about that final battle. It's like it this 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 episode was building up so much goodwill with me, and I was so happy watching the episode, and then to just disappoint me like that at the end was just the, the worst. And so literally in the turn of like three minutes, it went from one of my favorite episodes to then one of my least favorite. And that's really too bad. All you had to do was give me one minute of a kaiju battle. One lousy, stinking minute. And this would have been my favorite episode. But nope, you ruined it. So right back into the pile with the rest of them. Wow. All right, Derek, what do you got? Fuck this episode. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, I, I'm with Venom. I actually like the first two-thirds of it. But then the whole climax just fucking sucks and it ruins the fucking enjoyment factor. Uh, yeah, this episode does kind of drop the ball. Uh, Don, w what are you thinking? I'm, I'm different than you guys. Um, I actually really love this. This is one of my favorites. I think, for me, what it does differently, it breaks the formula to a good to enough of a degree that I'm comfortable with it, and the changes don't bother me. I don't mind that there's a 10-second kaiju battle. To realistically expect that costume to be functional enough to sustain and coordinate a battle of any degree other than what we got would be ludicrous in the extreme. Oh. So I, I don't mind that it, it is like that because what it makes up, what it lacks in a kaiju fight, it makes up for in three other areas. One, that blaze is one of the greatest things I've ever seen on a TV, sh on a TV show budget. 
that's a TV show. That was something made in a week, sent out to television. That blaze looks incredible. The fire, the way it spreads, the momentum it gathers, just the explosions, the pyrotechnics. Mm-hmm. That's like a seventies. That's like a seventies Godzilla fight. That is that is so much fun. I love it. Two. Ultraman actually acts more like a hero in this. He's not just some guy that's just there to put the monster down. He's also capable of other heroic and majestic deeds. He's able to stop the fire. He's able to keep it contained. He's able to stop it from destroying the city. And he does it while fighting a giant monster. You know, he's like a superhero. That's a really cool and impressive thing that he's able to do. And not only that, we get great character development from from Eo. He's been the goofball this entire time, and yet all of a sudden he shows this set of bravery that we've never shown before because he's never been the guy that goes rushing headlong into battle ready to atone for his misdeeds like the way he does before. So I think we get a great character development out of him by showing his bravery and willingness to atone for his mistake the way that he does here. So for me, I think those areas make it one of the best episodes of the series. I totally agree with everything you said. I, you know, all three of those points that you brought up are exactly the reason this was turning into my favorite episode. I guess, I guess I'm just less forgiving of the bad battle. And I understand why, you know, you're not, why you're more forgiving about it. You know, you, for me, for me, uh, well, for uh, me, it's the, the thing is, is that yes, the battle sucks. It's the least one of the series. But I'm forgiving of it because, like I said, to expect that costume in that sit- in that setup to have any kind of coordination within it to have a functional battle is absolutely ludicrous. Oh, sure. I mean, and, and I totally agree with that. But the point is, don't give me a, a big hand-to-hand combat battle. Just, you know, like, have Ultraman, like, destroy... Um, uh, Pestar while he's in the water so that at least Pestar has a little bit more realistic looking mobility. Mm. Just give so, me something. That's uh, all I'm know, saying. You know it would have been great if he just fucking split the fucking head in half and then oh. two halves oh, fucking fall in half. Well, that's what the later <laughs> Ultramans would do. The later yes. Ultramans would slice the thing in half and blow the... Well, we saw him ripping the fucking Jerez's fucking collar off. For, yeah. Well, for um, that's what I'm saying is that, you know, later Ultramen, they would just... Sl- fire an energy beam and they would actually literally split the thing in half yeah i've I mean, seen some gifts yeah they definitely yeah. do yeah so i mean you you know yeah you could get away with it then but you know sorry jerry uh venom spoiler alerts for upcoming episodes uh no you get, yeah you uh, literally get to see bisection bifurcation amputation and uh delimbing in this i love in it. these episodes give me so, some yeah. throw some vivisection in there and i'm ready yeah, I think that's kind of covered by some of the other ones too. Nice. nice. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you too, Don. You know, it's just yeah, I'm a little less, but I see what your point is, yeah. and you're right about those points yeah. too. Absolutely. Like I said, I agree with everything Don said, and that's why I do. Yeah. I still do enjoy this episode. I don't. I don't want to write it off just because that that battle at the end is terrible. Um, I yeah. will say it does hurt the rating for this episode if we were rating it, but. Um, yeah. So it's definitely, once it's over, it's no longer necessarily one of my favorite episodes, but it's still easily in the top half for the first, you know, 13 that I've watched. So ultimately, it's not a bad episode. It's just I I didn't get a satisfying ending. That's all. 
Yeah, mm. it's not bad. It's just underwhelming. Exactly. Perfect. Perfect way to say it. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to say, Don, very valid points. Uh, the thing that I kind of do to make this episode a little bit better for me is I just like to picture it as Ultraman going, I don't have time for a fucking fight. Here's a Spacium Ray, you know, at full blast. I'm putting you down, and I am moving on. I have to save Ito. I have to put out this fire. I don't have time to play. And that's kind of what I do to make myself feel better about this. So it's just kind of, so the fight's more of a joke for me, but it makes it work for me. Well, you could... And also, I mean, I can see where you're coming from because he doesn't turn to it initially. He only turns to it after it blasts him in the shoulder when he's moving away from it. I also thought so, that was a waste. I mean, that was one of the really n nicest looking flame attacks I've ever seen. It's too bad he didn't use it more on Ultraman. I mean, I know he got one shot off, but this is what this is what I mean. It's like the, the few things that uh, Pestar does well, they didn't do enough of. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, minor gripe, ultimately. Right. Yeah. Uh, so with that being said, uh, the costume for Bessar, very interesting. Um, it does look like very thin, cheap rubber. But you see that a lot on Ultraman, where, sure. like, you can tell there's, like, it's a costume because the rubber's flapping around when there should mm -hmm. be, like, you know, the monster solid meat and muscle there. Mm -hmm. um, so you have that here, and it does look a little, a little goofy. And it kind of does explain why you don't get, like, a big fight in this movie. Yeah. And I'm okay with it. It's very yeah. unique, though, still. Like, it's just a fucking bad head with two giant starfishes. Yeah, that was fucking just weird. I, I want to know what they were... I, wanna, I wonder what they were smoking when they came up with that idea. I like the weirdness of that design, though. Like yeah, I said, I yeah, like that life. So you, you throw a really oddball design and you throw a bat head on top of it, I'm totally on board. I, it was just, you know, his, his movements that kind of started to ruin it, is all. Like, whatever he was doing in the water, I thought it looked great. So the first couple of times that we see him, I loved it. Like I said, it just it looked like a standard bat. Like when he was in the water, you couldn't tell that it was two starfish. It actually looked like it potentially could have been wings. But then once he's out of the water, that's when it's like, oh, that's what the rest of it looks like. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> OK, <laughs> uh, that's our episode of Ultraman. Uh, fun times next Ultraman. I believe uh, it's uh, Fuji is going to get a little upset because someone's eating all the pearls. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> well, it's, it's a fun episode. I like this uh, coming up episode because I like Fuji. So she's adorable. Uh, and then obviously uh, next episode we will have some kind of Godzilla movie. Not sure which one, but uh, it will be Godzilla. And then I think for episode 15, I think we'll be doing our Ultraman special where we're all just going to uh, we're going to be doing four episodes of Ultraman. So nice. look forward to that. With that being said, uh, we're going to get out of here, which means it's time to go around and see what everyone's been doing. So, Derek, what's been going on with you, podcast-wise? Well, uh, podcast, and uh, this released the uh, next episode, episode 29 of Cinema Attack, came out uh, today, actually. Uh, yeah. Uh, Matt fighting the westerns, yeah, duel the west. You know, Matt's not a fan of westerns. We're gonna show him westerns and see what he grinds his gears about them. <laughs> very fun episode and very tense, very tense conversation. 
But uh, yeah, that came out, and of course, uh, next episode of Celluloid Dissections is recorded next sun- Saturday, where me and Miss Carly are going to be reviewing The Crying Game by Neil Marshall. Uh, can't wait to see what she thinks of that one. And actually, uh, me and Venom recorded an episode of No More Room in Hell last night, which should be out sometime during the week, mm-hmm. where we covered two werewolf films, uh, Ginger Snaps and Dog Soldiers, uh, with some great guests, uh, Brian and Jamie Sammons. Awesome shit there. And it was a fun time. Yeah, great show. Great show. And that's about it. You know, I'm just been uh, researching uh, 1985 films, too, because uh, I actually said it on the, the that show also that I made my announcement that I'm actually uh, joining the, the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror on their 1985 retro year list. So I've been ready for that. So when that show comes out, you'll hear my sweet, beautiful voice. <laughs> I look forward to it. I always love those shows. Don, what do you got going on? All right. Um, we've, you probably will have already heard our latest episode of Horror Mafia. It's a uh, look at uh, Boondog Saints. So uh, that should be, re- it should be released by the time this episode is out. Is that right, um, Rambo? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I think our next, the new, the next episode to be recorded is, um, I, I think we decided on um, finally tackling a Rob Zombie movie, so <laughs> we're gonna do uh, Lords of Salem. Ooh. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think we're finally gonna dive into those waters. So. Have you ever seen yeah, that? Um, oh yeah, it's my favorite of his. Movies. Okay. I was. Wondering. Well, I should say it's the only one of his I actually like. How do you not like Devil's Rejects? I haven't, I haven't seen it since it came out. I saw it once in 2006, and I haven't had the urge to watch it since. Yeah, that's that's my favorite zombie easily. Yeah, Devil's Rejects is one of the best character-driven horror movies ever. I fucking love it. Yeah, it's a road movie on crack. Absolutely yeah. love it. <laughs> I could see it being a little too long for Don's taste when yeah. it comes to American films. That's true. Uh, well, like I said, I haven't. I saw it once in 2006 when it came out, and I haven't seen it since. So. What did you think of it? Did you hate it? Like it? Don't remember? I thought it was decent. Okay. I think I, at my IMDb rating review, which means shit because it's from 2006, I think it's a seven. Yeah. Nice. So, like I said, that's you know, 15 years ago and. I don't know however many movies since, so I don't know what a rewatch is going to do because I practically remember nothing. I, I remember the ho- the motel sequence when he they capture oh, the yeah. family next door, when they capture the family next. Japanese, yeah. look at these. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that. I remember the. Uh, I remember the, them being held captive and the officer torturing them, but like very little else about it. Mm-hmm. All right, well, it'll be interesting yeah. to see yeah. what you do on on uh, Lords of Salem. Yeah, it's a very mixed opinion movie. So I'm yeah, I'm curious. actually I'm, I'm surprised to hear Don say he likes it. Yeah, that's my favorite of his movies. Awesome. Or I should say the only one I like. I got right. I, I dig it, too. I, I won't lie. Yeah, I dig that one. Right. Oh, no, well, I this like is it. not Rob Zombie from, from Underwater Kaiju, so we will move <laughs> on from that. Uh, anything else from you? 
Uh, a few guest appearances, but um, they've been they've been out for a while now. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be doing the uh, summer sh- summer shark series with NFW, covering all of their uh, killer sea creature films. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. So uh, those won't be out for a while. Um, I've recorded two with them so far. Um, I've recorded uh, Piranha 2, The Spawning, Love and it. The Meg. Cool. Um, I think the next one we're doing is, um, I think Nudie said we're going to do either The Beast, the miniseries with a giant octopus, yeah, or, Benchley's. yeah, the Peter Benchley one, or Ghost Shark. I don't remember. It's the three-hour version of The Beast? Yeah, like I said, I think that was the next one. Nudie said. I think he wants to do like one half of the miniseries one night, and then the other half the other night, and then edit it as one show. But oh, I don't. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember how we're. I don't remember. I don't even remember if that's the one we're doing next. So okay. Peter like Benchley's creatures. I think they did that last year. Oh. Last year or the year before, I think. Or. I, I don't remember. I, right. yeah. It doesn't matter. We're yeah. going to move on because uh, Nudie has enough time on the internet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, like I said, those aren't going to be out for a while, but yeah, that's the next, the other thing. Yeah. So Venom, what do you got coming? All right. As Derek mentioned, we just recorded a new episode of No More Room in Hell last night covering a couple of early 2000s werewolf movies. Uh, The next episode of the sister podcast, No More Room in Hell Presents Fresh Cuts, will be recorded tomorrow. We'll be covering the recently released uh, Crawl, which, spoiler alert, I had a lot of fun with. So if you get a chance to see it, go check it out. It's a great theater watch. Um, let's see, uh, later this week, I'll be recording the next episode of Slice and Dice Dreadcast, and we're going to be covering The Holy Mountain, which I know absolutely nothing about. And from what I understand, uh, the guys are, they told me, don't watch a trailer, don't read a synopsis, just go into it blind. And, uh, they want to see what I think about it. So wow. and for those of you, song? Holy Mountain. Oh God. No, that's not it. That's not the right thing. No, sir. Wow. Um, let's see. Yeah, so that's Slice and Dice Dreadcast. Um, Theme Warriors is still on a minor hiatus while we're trying to, you know, schedule the next episode, which we've had ready for a couple of months, but scheduling has been a nightmare for the four of us. So scheduling hopefully... is the bane of all the existence of podcasters. Exactly, yeah. Especially when, you know, four people living in four different parts of the country, uh, it turns into a hassle. Um uh, what else we got? And I can announce the return of the horror cast. Uh, Mark Nato has returned from retirement, and the horror cast should be back uh, sometime in September. We're going to start recording new episodes next month in August, and that should be a lot of fun. Uh, those of you who know, that's the first podcast I was ever on, and I'm very loyal to them. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, they gave me my start, they, you know, they took a chance with me and, uh, you know, I will always keep them in high regard and always prioritize my uh, horror cast time. So I'm very happy to announce that that'll be back sometime in September. And then the last thing I wanted to say isn't podcast related, but on the off chance that we as underwater Kaiju are not back by the end of August, I just wanted to let everybody know Godzilla King of the monsters, the legendary films version will be released on blu-ray and dvd on august 27th so please check that out Mm. if you haven't and if you haven't and you're listening to the show what's wrong with you (laughs) oh yeah so good 
So good. So good. Yeah, now that the Horrorcast is back, y'all have to go kill that other podcast that's calling itself the Horrorcast. I think they're done. I, I I thought I heard that they recorded their last episode recently. Like, I, I don't know. I just I haven't listened to any of their podcasts. I just saw it posted on the Slasher app. And I was like, wait a second. I listened to the Horrorcast. You're not the Horrorcast. <laughs> Did you ever hear back from them about wanting to put their shows back on? When that that one day they see the sent out that post about them saying you know here's our address send us your shows and we'll put you on. Did you ever hear back from them about that? Yeah, they had me. I emailed the guy. He had me uh, like just send him the information, like what my websites were and that kind of stuff. And I sent him that, and then I didn't. I haven't heard anything back since then. Yeah, and same here. Because I, to be I honest, sent... I, I I rarely go on the slasher app, so I'm not. Yeah, because yeah, I I sent in, and I haven't heard back from them from the first time. Yeah, so I, I don't know what's going on with that. I know they just started a Patreon to start raising money. Um, as I, I don't know, like I the idea this isn't really kaiju related, but the idea behind it I get. You know, with places like Instagram, uh, putting a protection on the war, hashtag horror and Twitter banning the Soska sisters for sharing a picture from their fucking movie rabbit, like. Oh, yeah. It's getting a little ridiculous. Unfortunately, the app just wasn't... I, I don't think it's really going to be there. Like, I feel like Facebook groups are still the best place. You just kind of have to behave a little bit. Uh, which isn't a problem for me, but for some people it's very much a problem because they get, like, kicked off and banned all the time. So... I don't know what to do with it. I'm just going to wait and see what happens. Um, hopefully it turns out good, but whatever. Uh, we'll get into my podcasting. Uh, we just did Suicide Club from 2001 on Kill the Cast. If that is a movie that you've seen and you were left scratching your head going, what the fuck did I just watch? Well, check out our episode because I will explain all of it to you um, as I go deep into what I believe the movie means and what the connections are. And we take three people who have never seen the movie and make them watch it and try to explain the movie themselves. Always a good time. Uh, the next episode of Kill the Cast will be done on uh, Videodrome. So we're doing another what-the-fuck kind of movie. Um, so that's going to be a blast. And then, of course, Underwater Kaiju will be coming back with some Godzilla flick. And that's all I've got. Uh, I have been working on something else with uh, uh, a guest spot for the podcast Under the Stairs uh, 90 series, their summer series, which is the best of the 90s. I did. I recorded 98 today. I recorded for four and a half hours on that. Uh, it was a beast of a marathon, but we knocked it out. I was betrayed. Uh, you will find out all about that later on when that comes out, I think somewhere in August. So... That's it. That's all. That's all I've got. That's all we have going on here. Uh, if you liked us, thank you for joining us. Check us out next time. Go grab you a sweet underwater kaiju from outer space shirt. They look damn sexy. And um, that's all I got. Anybody got any parting words to the people? I'm good. 
Good. Fuck y'all. We'll see y'all next time. Thank you for joining us on these visions from Monsterland. Yeah.